Well, good morning. I want to welcome those who are at our various campuses. I want to welcome those who are watching by television, those who are watching online. Uh, we're one church in about three different locations, and I hope you'll find one closer to you and come check out and see what God is doing in us. You know, everyone knows that there are a few hot-button topics, and it can make any conversation just go nuclear. You know, religion, politics for sure, health, death. But when it comes to the most difficult conversation you can possibly have, this really kind of surprised me. A new survey from Wells Fargo found one clear winner. Guess what subject it was? Money. Listen to this. This is amazing. 44% of Americans said personal finances is the most challenging chat anyone can possibly have. Even the existentially terrifying topic of death, which you might expect, I thought it would come out on top, comes in second at 38%. I would have thought maybe politics would have been at the top. It's third at 35%. And in this kind of secular age we're moving into, religion, it's 32%. Wells Fargo said Americans are clear. The most difficult conversation for us to have with anybody is over the topic of money. And the same thing is true in the church. Have you ever heard the term the third rail? The third rail is an, elect, uh, an electrically charged rail that supplies power to electric trains, and it's very dangerous because if you touch the third rail, it can kill you. And so we've adopted that term, and, 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 and it really means today, if there's something too controversial to talk about or to tamper with, it's called the third rail. For example, ask any politician, what is the third rail of politics? They'll tell you the third rail of politics is social security. Nobody wants to touch it. Nobody wants to talk about it. We're going into deficits with social security. We don't know how we're going to fund it 20 or 30 years from now, but nobody wants to talk about or touch social security. It is the third rail. Well, guess what? Money is the third rail of preaching. Because when you touch it, you know, somebody's going to really, at times they'll get upset or, or, or you, you kind of want to be super sensitive. And yet what amazes me is the, this third rail of money is the rail that Jesus touched more often than any other subject. And I think I know why. And so I just kind of want to burrow down because I'll be honest with you. If I've ever read the Bible in my life and, and you told me about Jesus and you said, hey, so what do you think the Son of God talked about more than anything else? I would have said, well, I, I, I would think he talked about salvation. You'd have said, wrong. Well, he would have talked about death. Wrong. Or he talked about heaven. Wrong. Well, he talked about hell. Wrong. He talked more about money than any other subject. I'd be the first one to say, you got to be kidding me. Of all the things he could talk about, he talked about money, and I think I know why. I want you to imagine that I'm a writer. And I'm an author, and I'm a good one. And I want you to imagine that my specialty is in writing, bi writing biographies. And so I want you to imagine that you want to, you me to come, you, you, want, you come to me and you say, hey, I want to hire you to write my biography. But you give me one condition. You say, I want you in this biography to really get at what, is, what really is at the heart of my life, what is really the most important to me. But here's the deal. You can only have access to one of my personal items. Only one. So I want you to write my biography. When you get through, when somebody reads this biography, they will say, that's exactly the heart of who I was. That's exactly what was most important to me. But you only get to get look at one of my personal items to figure that out. I would not ask to see your diary. If you kept the diary, I wouldn't ask to see your diary. 
I would not ask to see your personal private correspondence. I wouldn't ask to see your emails. I wouldn't ask to see your Twitter account. I wouldn't ask to see your Facebook page. If I was writing your biography and I wanted to get to the heart of who you really are and what really was the most important thing to you, I want to look at your bank statement. That would tell me all that I need to know. You say, excuse me, why would you do that? Why of all the things you could look at to really get to the heartbeat of my life, why would you look at my bank statement? It's because of something that Jesus said. He said this. He said, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. There is no greater barometer of where your heart is than in the way you see money and the way you handle money. Now, if you just walked in here today and you're a guest of ours or you're a guest on one of our campuses, we, we're, we're in a series that we're calling Right on the Money. And what we've been saying is real simple. When you're right with God, you'll be right on the money because God wants you right on the money. So we've been sharing steps on how you can make sure that you're right on the money. And so to give you a little bit of review, if you've been here or if you've not been here, I'll kind of take you back and give you a quick Reader's Digest version. We talked about, first of all, taking the right approach to money. And we said the right approach to money should be governed by this belief. It's something that Paul wrote. The Apostle Paul said, My God will meet all of your need according to the riches of His glory in Christ Jesus. And what we simply said was, if that verse is true, and that's an if, I get that, but if you knew for the rest of your life you will never have a need that God would not meet, then we said logically, then you would never ever worry again about money. Why would you worry about money if you know that God is going to meet your needs? So we said that's the right approach you ought to take to your money, and that is, hey, it's not really money that meets my needs, it's God that meets my needs. Then last week, we talked about, okay, what is the right attitude you ought to have toward money? And we said that's based on something that Jesus said again. Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So we said last week, okay, if God's greatest blessing is in giving and not in getting, we ought to be looking for more ways to give rather than more ways to get. So here's what we're doing today. If you take the right approach to money, God's going to meet my needs. And if you take the right attitude toward money, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. If those two things are true, then we said, today, we're saying today, then what is the right action we ought to take with our money? And what I want to share with you today is a piece of financial advice. Actually, it's stronger. I'm going to kind of tone it down a little bit. It's a piece of financial advice that God gave to the Jewish people thousands of years ago. And I just want to tell you before I even get into this subject, I'm a satisfied customer. I've tried it. I've tried it since I was a little boy with the first dollar I ever made in my life. I've done it ever since. And I'm telling you, it, will, it is probably the greatest financial principle I have ever applied in my own life. I want to show you what it is. If you brought a copy of God's Word or you have a smartphone or an iPad or whatever it is you bring, I want you to turn to the last book of the Old Testament. It's a book called Malachi, right before the New Testament. I want you to turn to Malachi chapter 3. Now, let me tell you kind of what's going on. Malachi is a prophet, and he is prophesying to the Jewish people. He's, he, he's kind of giving them God's message. Well, like the people that Malachi is talking to, and the reason why this is very relevant, like the Jewish people that Malachi was talking to, most believers, just like they did, ignore God's financial advice. They ignore what Malachi told the people they ought to be doing because just one-third 
to one half of all members of all churches give any financial support to the church whatsoever. Let me say that again. Of all the people that attend church, and especially all the people who are part of a church, only one-third to one-half give any, I'm talking about even a dollar bill, give any financial support to the church whatsoever. And of those who do give any financial support, on average, only 3 to 5% follow the financial advice that God gave 2,000 years ago, and only 3 to 5% of the people who give any money to the church take God's advice and take this action with their money, all right? This is what God told the Jewish people. This was his financial advice thousands of years ago. Bring the whole tithe, the word tithe means tenth, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven. I love that phrase. Throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Simple advice. God says, what I'm going to advise you to do with money, and by the way, it's not your money, it's mine, but we'll pretend it's yours. God says, what I'm going to advise you to do is to invest 10% of every dollar into my work. And if you will do that, I promise you that the dividends will be divine blessings that are so great to you, you can't even imagine the rate of return you're going to have. Now, before I get into this, I want you to remember something. I would only ask you to consider doing what I'm going to ask you to do today if two things were true. God's going to meet all your needs, and it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Now, if you don't believe either or both of those things, I would not blame you for tuning me out right now. I get it. But if you say, no, I do believe that God is the one that meets my needs, and I do believe that Jesus told the truth when he said it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. If you believe those two things, what I'm about to share with you is not something you have to do. It's not something you ought to do. It is something you should want to do. So here's what God says. Here's his advice. Number one, he says, tithe to God's house. That's the first thing he tells us. Tithe to God's house. Now, let me tell you something about Malachi that I really like and I really appreciate. Malachi was not real popular with his peers. As a matter of fact, his approval ratings were in the single digits. He got a lot of nasty emails. People blew him up on Twitter. They just ate his lunch on Facebook. And you know why? He was confronting Israel, who was in deep trouble, because instead of doing things God's way, they were doing things their way. They were ignoring the Word of God. They were ignoring the truth of God. They were ignoring the prophets of God. They were ignoring everything that they really knew to do that was the right thing to do, and they were doing things their way. Now, I'll tell you why Malachi is one of my favorite books in the Old Testament, one of my favorite prophets, because he's very unusual, because when you read all the other prophets, most of Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, some of those prophets, when you read those prophets, man, they're thundering out God's truth, and they're pointing their bony fingers, and they're telling people the way it ought to, ought to be. Malachi doesn't do that. You know what Malachi does? It's really interesting. He just asks questions. That's all he does. His whole book is just a series of of questions. And I'm going to be honest, some of them sound really silly. And, and, and I, I have to be honest with you, they, they sound kind of annoying. Because I, I don't know if you like, are like me or not, nothing annoys me worse than a silly question. I, I don't mind a good question. But I mean, let, let me give you an example. Somebody, and I, I can't tell you how many times I've had people say this to me, uh, I, I'll be, um, I, I'm dressed up and, and somebody will see me out. Somebody will say to me, 
hey, pastor, so why are you dressed up in a suit and tie? And I'll say, well, uh, I'm going to do a funeral. Now, what do you think they'll ask me? Did somebody die? And, you know, I just want to say, no, I just like to go hang out with the corpses. And if I said that, they'd probably ask, well, why do you want to do that? I'd say, just to kill time. Now, Malachi asked one of those very annoying, kind of a silly question. question. He says this in verse 7. He says, ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees. That is, that, this is God speaking. You've not listened to one thing I've told you. You have not kept them. Return to me, and I'll return to you, says the Lord. So God's turned his back on them because they've turned their back on God. Now, they asked the question. They asked it from Malachi. But Malachi, but you asked me a question. How are we to return? And then here's the question. He asked, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. Now on the surface, that's a silly question. I mean, how can a man rob God? By the way, have you ever been robbed? I'm I just curious, how many of you have ever been robbed? Okay, then you know what it feels like. I, let me tell you, I, I may have told you the story one time. I've been robbed one time. I was actually, we were, I was pastoring my, my second church in the seminary, and my, my oldest boy, James, had just been born. He was just a baby. He was just a few weeks old. And I played on the church softball team. We had a church a softball game. And, and normally, Teresa did not go to watch the softball games. I mean, it's not, there are things more exciting than church softball. But, you know, she normally didn't go. But on this particular Saturday, I was getting dressed and getting my uniform on to go play. And I said, hey, would you like to take James and go with me to the, to the ball game? And, and as God would have it, just very unusual, she said, well, yeah, I'd be glad to go. So she went with me, and we played softball. Well, when we got back to that little pastorium, the little small house that was right across the road from the church, when we got back, we, we, we parked the car, and we were walking up to the front door, and the door was open. And Teresa looked at me, and she said, did you, did you lock the door? And I said, well, yeah, that's the last thing I always do. She said, well, I thought I saw you lock the door. Just, you know, thought that was kind of odd. So we went into our house, and our house had been ransacked. And we found out later, evidently, there was an escaped convict that was way, probably hiding in the woods right across from the church, and he saw us leave, and he came into our house. When I walked into my bedroom, every door, drawer was pulled out. Clothes were everywhere. And, 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 and the thing that really, really got me was one of the things he stole was a pocket watch that belonged to my uncle, who's my, and my grandfather had given it to my uncle. My uncle gave it to my dad, and my dad gave it to me. It was a prized fairly family heirloom. Now, thank God it was recovered a couple of days later. But, but let me tell you, if you've ever been robbed, you know what I'm about to say. You literally feel violated. Ladies, excuse me for saying this. I don't, I'm not trying to downplay rape, but you feel raped. I mean, you, 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 you say, how in the world could somebody come in and steal that, something that doesn't belong to them? Now, so we know that houses can be robbed, and, and, and we know banks can be robbed, and we know people can be robbed, but how in the world do you rob God? Because it's one thing to charge someone with a crime. It is another thing to prove it. Well, Malachi has lodged a serious charge against the nation of Israel. He has said, you're guilty of the felony of all felonies. You have robbed God. Now, the response was expected. Here's what they said. They asked, but you asked, how are we robbing you? That is, there's their question. Okay, God, how are we robbing you? In other words, you got any witnesses? Is there any smoking gun? Where's your evidence? How are we robbing you? And God's answer stunned the courtroom. In tithes. And offerings. 
dead silence. Nobody says a word. Because you see, you can steal from people in one of two ways. You can either forcibly or deceptively take something from them that doesn't belong to you, or you can keep something that belongs to them and never give it back. And what God said was, you're a bunch of thieves walking around your house and walking around your job and walking around where you live because in your pockets, you've been carrying stolen tithes and stolen offerings that I have asked for. Now, we know it all belongs to God, but God has specifically asked only for tithes and offerings. Now, there's only one remedy for robbery. There's only one. Give back what you have taken. So God says, okay, you're guilty of a spiritual felony. I'm not going to throw you in jail. I'm going to give you a chance to make restitution. Here's what I want you to do. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. That's kind of an incredible thing to me. Even though God gives us 100% of all that he has, uh, all that we have, God says, look, I don't want it all back. I don't want 99% of it back. I don't want 90% back. I don't want 50% back. I don't want 40, 30, or 20. I do want 10% back to me. Now, let me just stop, okay, because I want you to know, I worked so hard on this message. Let me tell you, this is one of those messages I thought, okay, I am the most skeptical person in the room today when I'm preaching. And I'm going to come up with every bullet I can fire to just shoot down what he's trying to tell me, okay, so get ready. Some of you I know, I've heard it before, I know what you're thinking, okay? And, we, and I've heard people say this, and here's the thing. People almost say it with a smirk, almost say it with a little smile, like, like I got you. They'll say, well, that was to the Jews under the law. But we're not Jews. We're Gentiles, and we're under grace. That's right, amen. Because you know what? That is absolutely true. I'm not a Jew. I don't think we have any in here. Maybe we have a converted Jew, but I'm not a Jew. Most of you are not Jews, and we are not under law. We are under grace. But here's the problem. That doesn't take you off the hook. It actually puts you on the hook. Now, I won't get an amen to that, but y'all will in a minute. It doesn't actually take you off the hook. It actually puts you on the hook. Let me explain why. Do you know how much the average modern-day follower of Jesus gives to his or her church? If you took all the people in America last year that gave anything to the church, I mean anything at all, and you added it up and you averaged it out, are you ready for this? The average person who's been saved by grace, who says they know Jesus, who says Jesus is first in their life, who says they want to please God and they want to obey God and they want to glorify God, the average person last year, gave 2.5% of their income to the church. In other words, we under grace only give 25% of what a Jew would give under the law. But it's worse than that. One of my favorite authors, Randy Alcorn, said, when you add up all the tithes and offerings that Jews gave under the law, it amounted to about 23% of their income. Let me tell you why. Not only did God say to these Jewish people, I want you to give a tenth of your income back to me, every three years, God asked for an extra tithe to give to the poor and to give to people who were in debt. So, in other words, when you compare the average 2.5% that an average Christian gives under grace, you know what that means? That means the law was ten times more effective than grace, which is why pastors sometimes want to go back to the rule of law. Okay, now, 
When you look at the 10% tithe, that means that the average Jew was four times, listen to this, the average Jew was four times more responsive to the law of Moses than Christians are to the grace of Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, there is something wrong with that picture. And I'm reminded of what my hero and my mentor, Dr. Adrian Rogers, said. He said this, any Christian who would give less under grace than a Jew would under the law is a disgrace to grace. Now, if that makes you mad, you come up and apologize, and I'll forgive you. Any Christian, any Christian who would give less under grace than a Jew would under the law is a disgrace to grace. Now, let me just make something very plain. I agree with you. are out there saying, well, I want to tell you something right now. I don't think we ought to give a tithe because we have to, but because we want to. We're under law. We're not under grace. You are absolutely right. I totally agree with that. I don't want you to give a tithe because you have to. Because you don't have to. You're not under the law. I don't want you to give a tithe because you ought to. You don't have to ought to. Or you don't ought to because you're not under the law. I want you to give what you give under the grace. You're absolutely right. But now let me ask you this question. I want you to imagine, and there are some who believe this ought to be, what if today, tomorrow the Congress met, and what if they repealed the seatbelt laws in America? So in other words, what if, suppose we passed a law and we said, look, you no longer have to wear a seatbelt. You no longer have to put your little babies in safety seats. You just throw them in the back seat or the front seat. You just let them bounce around. You don't have to, they don't have to be restrained whatsoever. You know why? Because you're not under law. You're under grace. So no more seatbelt laws, no more safety seats for your kids. You just do whatever you want to do. I just want to ask you, parents and grandparents, one question. Would you keep putting your child in a safety seat? Would you keep buckling up knowing the safety statistics? Would you say, well, yeah, I would do that. You know why? Because whether it's under the law or not is not the issue. The issue is, is it a good idea? The issue is, does it benefit me? And what you're going to see in a moment is the tithe is a great idea. And the tithe will bring you benefits you won't get any other way. So he goes on to say, not only would it bring the whole tithe, he's, he's real specific, bring the whole tithe into the store. House. What was the storehouse? It was a storage room in the temple where people would come and deposit their tithes and offerings. Why did they bring it to the temple? Because the temple is where God's people came together. The temple is where God met his people. The temple was the distribution ministry for God's ministry and a distribution center for God's ministry and God's work. Well, guess what? God still has one today. It's called the church. And God says, my church is to be the distribution center where you people, all of God's people come together, all of God's people meet together, I meet them in worship, and then they bring their tithe into the storehouse so my work can go on. And oh, by the way, understand, there is a difference between a tithe and an offering. The only thing I, we ever ask for from you that we really expect you to give is a tithe. Now, we hope you'll give an offering above that, but the tithe goes to the church, it goes to God's house. The offering is when you want to give over and above the tithe or you want to give to other ministries. But the first thing God says is this. God says to this nation who's about to go under, hey, when it comes to finances and money, this is my advice to you. Tithe to my house. Here's the second thing God says to do. Try God's character. Tithe to God's house. And then he says, try God's character character. Now, this, this is a part of the verse, quite frankly, that sometimes I still scratch my head because God is so eager for us to bring our tithes to him 
He says something one time he never says again. And as a matter of fact, you ready for this? He does something he really ever does. He tells us to do something that other that everywhere else in Scripture he forbids us to do. He tells us to do something that everywhere else in the Bible he says, don't even think about doing this. But God says, I'm going to make an exception one time to one rule that I've given you. Here's the exception. Watch this. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Now watch this. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. Everywhere else in Scripture, you know what God says? Don't test me. Don't you draw a line in the dirt and dare me to cross it. Remember when Jesus was in the wilderness and the devil tempted him? And he said, you shall not tempt. It's the same word. You shall not test the Lord your God. Everywhere else in the Bible, God says, don't you test me. Don't you say, hey, God, if you'll get me out of this hospital, I'll go back to church. God says, don't test me. Don't put me under any conditions. But this one time, God says, test me. I'm going to give you permission to do something. I'm going to give you permission to draw a line in the dirt and look me in the eye and say, I dare you to cross that line. In other words, this is the amazing thing God says. God says, I'm going to let you this one time look me in the eye, the creator of this universe. I'm going to give you the chance to look me in the eye and say this, put up or shut up. That's exactly what he says. You get to do it one time. Put up or shut up. Not when it comes to healing your cancer. Not when it comes to getting to help you buy that Mercedes Benz. Not when it helps you take that trip you've always wanted to take. Nope, not doing that. But when it comes to your bringing your tithe into the storehouse, you have the right to say to me, put up or shut up. You put my word to the test. You put my character to the test. So when I ask you, I want you to think about this. When I ask you to consider giving a tithe of your income to God, let me tell you what I'm really doing. I'm giving you an incredible opportunity to make history. You say, what do you mean? Would you like to make history? Would you like to get your name in the, in, in the newspaper under the right reading? Well, how, how would I do that? Because if you give God a tithe of your income and God does not meet your needs and you don't find it's more blessed to give than it is to receive, and if God does not open up the windows of heaven and make sure you are incredibly blessed, and if God does not cause the seed of your tithe to blossom into a harvest of blessing, guess what? You will be the first person in the history of the world that God failed. You'll be the first person in the history of this planet to be able to say, you know what? That God lies. That God does not keep his word. You cannot trust that God. And so here's what I want you to If you don't hear anything else I say today, I want you to hear this. This is why tithing is such a big deal. You think, well, I know why tithing's a big deal. It puts my money on the line. That's not why it's a big deal. Tithing doesn't just put your money on the line. It puts God on the line. It puts his integrity. It puts his character. It puts his word on the line. How many of you, years ago, I see kind of this will age some of you, Pepsi years ago created one of the most effective ad campaigns I've ever seen in my life. It was called the Pepsi Challenge. How many of you remember the Pepsi Challenge? Some of you remember that. Well, if you don't, Pepsi actually did this. And I thought it was kind of a unique, kind of a courageous thing to do. They, but what they did was they had Pepsi, right? They, they, had, their, they had their sugar water. And, and, and then they had their number one rival, the one we all know and love because it's right here in Atlanta, right? 
And so they, they, they had both of the bottles covered up. You know, you didn't know which was which. And they would just ask people off the street to come by. And, and they would say, you know what? We believe our drink is so much better than their drink, we're willing to put it to the test. And so they would have people, not knowing which to drink, they would ask people to drink both drinks and then say, okay, which one did you like better? Well, this is God's Pepsi challenge to us. God says, I want you to test me. I want you to try me. I want you to draw that line in the dirt. I want you to see if you can make me plump. I want you to see if you can make me fail. I want you to say if you can make a liar out of me because I've got news for you. I never have failed and I never will fail. I never have lied and I never will lie. I have a 100% record of keeping my word. And I want you to test me and to try me in this. Now, I've told you I've been working on this message hard and I got to thinking, okay, so what's the next big objection I'm going to get? I know it, so let me just help you. There's some of you right now and here's what you're thinking. You're saying, you know, it's real easy for you to stand up there and tell me to give 10% of my income to God's work. That's real easy for you. Because here's what you'd really like to say to me, and I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say it for you and make you feel better. If you knew my financial condition, you wouldn't ask me to give anything. If you knew my financial position, you wouldn't dare stand up there and be so insensitive to me that you would ask me to give anything, much less a tithe. If you only knew how bad things are with me. Okay, so just to be clear, your finances are in a wreck. You say, they're on life support. So your, your money is tight, <laughs> tighter than spandex on an elephant. Okay, um, you don't have any financial peace in your life? Oh, no, I sleep just like a baby, wake up two hours every two hours crying myself to death. Um, so you're drowning in debt? Well, yeah, I'm, I'm going under for the third time. You owe too much on your credit cards? <laughs> I can't leave home without it. I'm under house arrest. Okay, so let me get the picture here. So obviously, not only... This is where you are in your financial life right now. So you, and you haven't been giving God his tithe. Is that right? That's exactly right. How's that working out for you? Hello. Wake up and smell the coffee. I, I understand. And here's what God is saying then. God is saying now, you know what? You've tried it your way, right? What did you get for it? Credit card debt. Buying things you couldn't afford that you don't need anyway. Can't sleep at night because your finances are in a wreck. Every time the offering baskets pass, you wish you'd like to crawl under the chair. You wish sometimes they just even wouldn't talk about giving whatsoever. And what God is saying to some of you right now is, you've tried it your way. Give me a shot. Let me try it. See, if you, let, let me be your financial partner, and let's just see how that works out. And so God says, now, I dare you. I dare you to trust me. And bring me a tithe into my storehouse and to test my character. And here's why God says that. God says, look, I'm not just asking you to tithe to my house. I'm not just asking you to try my character. God says, I want you to trust my promise. Trust God's promise. Now watch this. What does God promise he will do? Let, let, let me just stop right here. This is not what I'm promising I'll do. 
This is not what I'm promising the church will do. I'm not promising any of that. I'm just promising what God said he would do. What is the rate of return on your 10% gift? He says, and see. He says, you'll see it. Nobody has to tell you, you'll see it. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. So let me ask you a question. So I'm, again, I'm, I'm kind of going through your objections. You say, well, I know why you want the tithe. I know why you want my money. You want to line the church's pockets. You want to increase the bottom line. You want to increase the profit margin here at Cross Point Church. Well, that's not what God tells us to tithe. God doesn't say, hey, if you tithe, you'll line the church's pockets. If you tithe, it'll benefit the church. Negative. God says the tithe is not for the church's benefit. It's for your benefit. And he says there are actually two blessings that will happen when we bring God the tithe. Two blessings. Number one, when you bring God's, God's tithe to, the, to his house, you are a blessing to other people. Listen to what he says. He says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Now he says, here's why I want you to do it, that there may be food in my house. All right, wait a minute. Let's think that through. Why does God need food? Now, you're smart people, so you know the answer to that question. He doesn't. God doesn't need food. God, God doesn't get hungry. Well, then wait a minute. So who, who does need food? Well, you know the answer to that. Hungry people need food. So what was God saying? God was saying, when you bring your tithe to my house, you're not just paying light bills. You're not just paying salaries. You're not just keeping the water running. You're not just keeping the doors open. God says, when you bring your tithe to my house, here's what you're doing. You're helping hurting marriages that are hungry for help to get restored. You're helping empty lives that are hungry for meaning to be changed. You're helping poor people who are hungry for food and clothing to get fed and get dressed. You're helping sick people who are hungry for hope to be ministered to and prayed for. You're helping lost people who are hungry for God to hear the gospel in 122 countries and in all 50 states every single week. But God doesn't leave us out of it. God says, when you bring your tithes into my storehouse, it's not just that you're a blessing to others. There's also a blessing for you by me. So he says this, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Now I've said this before, I'm going to say it again. When we talk about giving, we talk about tithing, we talk about you giving your offering, we talk about you being financially faithful to the Lord and financially faithful to his work. What God is saying and what I'm saying to you is this, God just wants to put you in the most blessable position he can. And God wants you to put yourself in the position where you can receive the greatest blessing that you can. And God says, I reserve those blessings for people who tithe to my house and try my character and trust my promise. Recently, we had a baby dedication in our church. It was a very special dedication because... My youngest grandson was dedicated to the Lord, and it was a real sweet time. You know, I was sitting there and watching these parents, these grandparents, we had a house full of people, and, and, and I was watching them dedicate their, their children, and, I, you know, and I'm, I'm always working on my messages ahead of time, and I'm always looking for ideas and illustrations, and I don't know why, but this thought hit me. I said, you know, why is it easier for us to dedicate our children to God than it is to dedicate our money? And I'll have to be honest, I thought about it, and I thought, well, you know, now that my sons are grown, 
I, I do understand that when your kids get older, there are times you want to say to God, hey, you take the children, I'll keep the cash. Okay, you know, so I, I get that. But, but I think about this. Why do we dedicate our children to God? Why, why do we do that? Well, because we understand they're really his kids. They're not ours. We, we really want God to use our children for his glory. What we want for our children, God wants for his children. And so he wants you to dedicate a tithe. Why does God want you to dedicate a tithe? For the same reason you dedicate your children. God wants you to dedicate a tithe to show that you understand, hey, Lord, I get it. It all belongs to you. I want to glorify you with my money. And even more, God says, oh, it's better than that. I want you to show me that you believe my promise that I will meet your need. I want you to show me that you take my word for it when I tell you I will bless you. I want you, I want you to show me that you really understand it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. By the way, go back to that Jewish farmer because most people back then were farmers. It was an agrarian culture. When a Jewish farmer tithed, I want you to hear this. This is important. When a Jewish farmer tithed, it was more than an act of obedience. It was really a statement of faith. Because I don't know if you know this or not. Farmers did not wait until the entire crop came in, and then they gave God the last 10%. They gave God what some of you, you, some of you remember this term. They gave God the first what? The first fruits. They gave God the first fruits. What is the first fruits? In other words, they took the first 10% of the crops that came in that, that, they, that they had been praying for, that they had been praying that would come in. They took the very first 10, top 10%, took it off the top, they took that 10% and they took it to the storehouse. It was only after they gave God the tithe of their crops that they would harvest the rest to live on. Why would they do that? Because what they were doing was this. They were saying, Lord, this is just the first part of the harvest. And we're really tempted to keep it because we at least know we can eat today. But we're going to give you the first fruits. We're going to give you the first 10% because we really believe we can trust you for the other 90%. And that's why I tell people this all the time, and some of you roll your eyes, and you can roll your eyes, but it's true. What I'm talking about today is not a matter of finances. It's a matter of faith. You know what the Bible says, Hebrews 11 Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Listen to me. Listen to me. You don't please God with your money. You don't please God with your abilities. You don't please God with your resources. It has nothing to do with that. You please God with your faith. And one of the reasons why I'm so grateful earlier on I learned the joy of tithing is because looking back, I realized... I have never invested in God's work anything that I will ever lose. Let me ask you a question. I know you like me. Remember I told you I'm, I'm a sucker for these TV deals that go on? How many of you wish you had a number of things you spent money for? How many of you wish you had your money back and you just never bought that stuff? Okay, we're all there, right? Some of, it, some of that stuff's hanging in our closet right now, right? Okay, I, I, I get it. Let me tell you something. You will never invest in God's work anything you regret or anything you will lose.
and it's so good to me how, how good it is. Let me tell you why I'm so glad I tithe the first dollar I've ever earned, and I can say this. I have tithed every dollar I have ever made since I was, nine, since I was six years old. I've given 10% of everything I've ever made. And by the way, and more, let me tell you why I'm so glad I did that. Because I'm going to reap dividends that will last forever. I told you many times, I'm big on bottom lines and rate of returns, so I'm going to leave you with this, okay? So I want you to do this, okay? Everybody shut everything down. Shut your iPads down, iPhones, turn, you know, turn everything off, close your Bibles, put your pens down. Don't think about what you're going to eat for lunch, okay? Just put all that out of your mind. Draw up real close and just give me the last two minutes of your time. Listen to this. I want you to imagine something. I want you to imagine you're walking down the streets of Bethlehem. And somebody says to you, hey, did you hear who was born the other day? No. Well, they say the Son of God was born. Really? Yeah, the Jewish Messiah. In fact, they say he's the Lord of the universe. No, come on. Yeah, really? I'm serious. Wow. So I want you to imagine you start looking at this man, this little boy. You watch him. He grows up, and you watched him for three years, and you watch his ministry. And you decide he hasn't been crucified yet. He's not been raised from the dead. So all you've kind of seen and heard is what you've seen and heard. And you decide, you know, I think I'm going to take a chance on this guy. I believe everything I've heard, and I believe everything I've seen. I believe this guy's the real deal. And you decide, I'm going to invest in his life. I, I'm going to make a financial investment in his ministry. Now, I want you to imagine that you have the equivalent of $10. You decide you're going to take $1 of that $10, and you're going to invest it in the life of Jesus. Now, I want you to imagine and suppose that that dollar earns 6% compounded interest every year, which is about what the stock market has returned over the last 100 years. Okay, I want you to imagine that. Do you know how much that $1 would be worth today? It would be worth $720 quadrillion. You say, how much money is that? I don't know, but it's a lot. It's a lot of money. Now, listen, I know what you're saying. I get it. You say, <laughs> Pastor, there's something wrong with your analogy, and you know what it is. Well, yeah, tell me what it is. <laughs> Who's going to live 2,000 years to see that kind of return? <laughs> you are. As a matter of fact, you're going to live forever. That means every time you invest a dollar in God's kingdom, it's going to multiply at a much greater, greater rate than 6%. It's going to yield dividends for all eternity. And that's why Jesus, and that's why God could say, eye has not seen and ear has not heard, and the mind of man can't even conceive what I have in store for those of you who love me. So, I want to give you an opportunity to put yourself in the most blessable position possible. I want to give you a chance to open up God's heavenly window of blessings and keep his promise. Here's what we're going to do. On December the 4th, we're going to celebrate right on the tithe. Right on the tithe. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to ask every working adult on December the 4th to be prepared to invest 10% of tithe of one week's pay in God's work through the Cross Point Storehouse. We're going to ask everybody. I want 100% participation. I'm praying for it. Don't know if I get it. That's what I'm praying for. I'm going to ask you to give on that Sunday 10% of your income. And here's all I'm asking for one day. And I know many of you have never done this in your life. I'm asking you for one day, would you do this? One day, just one. 
I'm not asking it for the next week or the next paycheck or the next one. Just one time. Would you tithe to God's storehouse just one time? Would you try God's character just one time? Would you trust God's promise just one time? Can you imagine what would happen if every working adult tithed at Cross Point? Can you imagine? There'd be more than enough food to get rid of our debt, to feed and clothe more people, expand our missions effort, have more people hear the gospel than ever before. And December the 4th could put the day, could be the day that you finally put yourself in a blessable position that you have never experienced before, ever and ever and ever. And listen, I'm only asking one time. Let me stop. I know. I'm ahead of you. I thought it through. Newsflash, it's Christmas. I got gifts to buy. Hello. I know. It doesn't seem logical. I, I get that. But God loves a challenge. And I'm more than willing to believe God so much that I'm going to say to you, I, I know Christmas is coming up. And I know you've got to buy Christmas gifts. I get all that. I understand that. But I'm willing to bet my life that if you'll give God his tithe one time, you'll be able to buy the Christmas gifts you need to buy. I just believe that. I get that. You say, well, it's easy for you to say, yeah, it is. But it hasn't always been. And I don't even have the time to tell you of how there were times when we were at seminary and it was literally, literally paycheck to paycheck. And there were times I was pastoring a little old country church and I didn't want to tithe and I'm the pastor. So I did it anyway. And I saw how God came through. So it all comes down to this. It all comes down to this. And then we're going to close. One day, you're either going to lose your money or you're going to leave your money. Just get ready. You're either going to lose it or you're going to leave it. The question is, whether you lose it or whether you leave it, the question is, will you be right on the money? Because that's where God wants you to be. Let's pray together.